America. My name is Armio Say Frimpong, and I come to you live every Friday about this time to tell you a little bit about the news of the day and help you understand your life, lest you squander it without the influence of my wisdom. You're welcome. And today I'm going to say the quiet part out loud, and the quiet part is freedom is having other people work for you. I'll tell you that again. Freedom is having other people work the world for you to consume. And justice is going to be about being participating in the system so that you also work the world for other people to consume, right? People think that, well, freedom's just doing whatever I want when I want to. You don't want to do that in a hostile world. Like, so Ameri this is always a hard argument to talk to Americans about because Americans romanticize nature, but my dad's from Ghana, and in Ghana, we know that nature kills you. Like, outside, like, everything about what you see here has been made for me by other people. And because it has been made for me by other people, I get to do this show for you. You're welcome. And I emancipate your mind, and the people who made this microphone and this computer and and <laughs> that curtain, they um, emancipated me. Because left to my own devices, I would not be able to do all of that. And not only that, I would be working on like finding rare mineral. I'd be extracting things from the um, the earth to fashion a microphone. None of this would be very good without other people doing work on the world for me. And people who don't understand that freedom is having other people work for you, they think groceries grow in grocery stores. Right, so the left has a problem with work, and the left doesn't understand jobs, and the other than and the left in general just doesn't understand production and how freedom emerges from mutual production, right, and how justice is a system of mutual production for each other, and some of it's compulsory. I don't make what I make. The person who made this microphone didn't do it because they had a love of making microphones. No, they did it because they needed money to eat. And I'm happy they did it because they needed money to eat. Now, I hope they got paid more than just money to eat. I hope they got paid money to like eat and then had time off to take their family to a vacation, all of that stuff. But make no mistake, nothing, the person who made this computer didn't do so out of love. They didn't do so out of large guests. They didn't do so because they felt like it, because the spirit moved them. No, they, moved, they did it because it was a job that they needed to eat and live their other lives. So they slaved to make this computer so that I could give the show to you and so that I could be free, right? Now, I hope that they didn't spend all of their time making this computer in order to eat. I hope that they only spent like a few hours a day making the computer so that they could eat and they spent the rest of the time enjoying the fruits of other people's labor who worked to cater for them, right? So that is the scheme of freedom. Uh, I'm gonna go into the details after I hit the beat. To the beat, y'all. Change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black and it can feature in your front.
So freedom is not free. As I don't know, freedom is having other people work for you. Other people, so let me tell you a little something about nature. Nature is indifferent. Nature does not care. Coronavirus does not care. Like nature does not care if you live or die. It's got its own ends. I, you know, outside of my place, I got a tree that's kind of looming over my house. I know the tree does not care about my roof. They don't care. The tree does not care that I need to get that tree removed. <laughs> I, uh, but you know, removing trees is actually a little bit more expensive than my budget allows right now. But like, the tree does not care if a limb goes down and kills my children. The tree does not care. Nature is indifferent. And farmers know, a lot of people romanticize, a lot of non-farmers and like hippie farmers with trust funds romanticize farming. Farming, know, they know that it's a war against nature. It's like the first forever war. Farming is a constant battle, pitched battle against nature. Nature is not on your side. Nature is indifferent, right? So um, like there is no freedom in nature. No, that freedom is war. You're always fighting nature that wants to kill you. Cancer is natural. And we have entire R&D departments that are organized to eradicate cancer. And this is why people who want like free goods, everyone should get free goods. All of those free goods are the work of other people. Free healthcare, how are you gonna talk about the people who build the hospitals? Who's gonna pay the people who build the hospitals? Who's gonna pay the people who staff the hospitals? Who's gonna pay the people who minister to my needs? Right, you think they should work for free? You think they should have to work while you just kind of like not work? No, everybody works to provide a service so that everybody else can be free. Because if you're not doing that, you're just a taker, right? So freedom is participation in a scheme that allows, that allows you to take advantage of everybody else's work, right? Because nobody's free um, if, if nobody's working, right? And, we're, and I'm saying this now for a few reasons. Um, I'm gonna hit this argument hard when I go on breaking points on Monday. Crystal's having me up to, uh, to Washington to, to do her show for her. And I, you know, let me take a second. Some of you guys might know every now and then I used to go on Rising with Crystal Ball and Saga and Getty and Jetty. And, you know, Crystal took a lot of chance on me. She took a chance on me. She saw some of my videos, saw some of my tweets, and was like, I want that Negro to talk on my show. And you know what I did when I went there? I talked. And you know what she did? She would have me back. And I know as soon as they hit the, the end button on my interviews, she'd have to have hard conversations with the people who paid her salary about like, well, you know, I think he's very actually in, incisive in what he says. And it's kind of interesting and challenging in a way that's in, in provocative. She would have to have all those hard conversations on my behalf. And there's only one itty bitty segment that didn't quite air, but all of the other ones aired pretty much uncut. And she didn't have to do that. She did that for me. And I'm going up um, to, to be on our show Breaking Points on Monday. And it's, it's going to be a hoot, I suspect. And uh, just uh, if, you, if you know who Crystal Ball is or their show Breaking Points, go ahead. Go over there. Check them out. She's trying to do a thing. Saga's trying to do a thing. And like I said, they gave a chance. They kept repeatedly giving me chances because I think I was providing value. But it was the kind of value that made their corporate sponsors a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and I support what they do. They supported me because I think they support the truth or at least an interesting truth teller. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that they had me on when they did and uh, that they still have me on on their show, Breaking Points. All right. 
So what I want to tell you is that freedom is not free. Freedom is the product of other people working for you, right? And justice is going to be a matter of you working for them in a way so that's not asymmetrical, right? So why do we think that freedom is just about a subjective choice to be able to do what I want, regardless of the world? That, like, the world is so indifferent to you that if you're doing what you want, regardless of the world, you're on the world's terms, right? Like, when the avalanche is coming down at me, I am free to try to fight the avalanche or to run away. Right, but that's not real freedom because what I'm interacting with is determining the character of uh, that interaction. Right, so I need to be interacting with something that has been produced. Right, I need someone else building a retaining wall to keep the avalanche from me. Right, so the world as it's given before it has been masticated <laughs> by other people's work is actually suffocates suffocates freedom. Right. Not only do I need the world as in nature masticated for my production for me, I need other people masticated. I need them cultured. <laughs> for me to be free, I need you guys to raise your children. Like for black people to free, be free in these United States, we need better white people and white parents. We need them to be like prepared to secure us, like to recognize our justice claims. Black people won't be free until there's a better class of white people. I know a lot of black people don't want me to hear that. They think, well, we can be free on our own. We can be free without them. No, no, not only do they own stuff and run the laws and the institutions and can sanction the tanks. And if you ask the people of Tulsa about the bombs and they ask the people of move in 19, was it 1984, Philadelphia? Like they, they, they run a lot of things, right? So in, as, as long as we interact with anything in the United States, including our water, um, it's going to be, the, we're going to have to deal with white control, right? So until we make a better class of white people, black people will never be free because we will spend all of our time and effort in defense against the predation of white people, right? Which is not unlike the predations of like the tiger, <laughs> um, in the same way I'm not or the avalanche so in the same way that I'm not free when I relate to a tiger uh, you know I have a right to my arm and I recognize my right to my arm it's part of my body don't you recognize my bodily autonomy no the tiger is a part of nature it is indifferent to your freedom it does not recognize your right to your arm it just sees a snack and you're not free with your relationship with your tiger with the tiger the tiger is a natural object it's completely indifferent to your rights so you interact with a tiger on that tiger's terms, according to its nature. So you're not free. All of anything we learn about your reaction to a tiger has more to do with the nature of the tiger than you. Same thing about like slaves on a plantation, right? We don't learn anything about slaves, the slaves on the plantation, because everything about the slave's life on the plantation is dictated by plantation life. <laughs> right? So it's not like, well, you know, the slave can be free in their mind. Don't let these Stoics fool you. There is no freedom in your mind. Freedom is realized in the world. Freedom is realized in the world. So everything, so the slave who's free in his mind but still like spends all day picking cotton, that person is not free. That's not a real freedom. It's not uh, substantive. And anything that they do isn't really a reflection of them. It's a reflection of, once again, the plantation economy. So 
We don't know black people in the United States. What we do know is the reaction to white celebr- uh, the black reaction to white settler colonialism, which in some ways is actually pretty awesome. I love my people, but um, we're not free. We're not self-determining. There are, like, there are so many. The stories, we tell, the stories black people tell themselves about black self-determination and the myth of black self-determination. I know, I know five free Negroes. And anybody who's not talking like me isn't a free Negro. <laughs> Let me tell you, like, it's, I'm the freest Negro a lot of you guys have ever seen every Friday. And if you want me to continue talking like a free Negro, I still got bills to pay and maybe a tree to remove above my roof. So go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5.15 or $50 uh, a month because you want me to keep being free and you want me to not have to capitulate to um, a centralized white paycheck like a lot of you guys do. And so you can't be as free as I am. And I'm winning. I'm, I fight my fights so that you don't feel so alone because a lot of what I say you think, but you didn't think you're allowed to say. And now that you say, now that you hear me say it, you feel less alone and your life feels more clear and you're not telling yourself some sort of stories. I was, I was talking to someone today. He said, like, well, you know, everything, the problem with the black, pe- black, problem with black people, this is a black guy too. The problem, with black, the problem with the black people is that uh, it all starts at home. So, you know, if we fix our family, we'll fix our life. And I had to break it to them. And it's hard, you know, telling truth to black people because I love them and I blame them less. But even the black home doesn't start at home. The black home is a problem, is like an artifact of the economy that the black parents live in. Like the black home with its leaded water isn't about the black family. The black home with the father who can't find a good job and the mom who's overworked or the black divorce that happened because like, you know, people have fed all these sorts of narratives about um uh married relationships that don't quite meet the black economic situation so they're kind of confused about what to expect of a partner so they end up divorced that is not um that's not that's the black home that does not start in the black home that's the black home that starts in like <laughs> either the white media or the 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 white um uh schooling structure or like, like I said, <laughs> Shonda Rhimes puts on shows that have probably done more damage to uh, black family life than crack, than <laughs> the war on drugs, right? I, I, I tell this story often, but it's a good story, so I'm going to tell it again. I was, uh, about 10 years ago, I was, ta- I was uh, chatting with this girl. She just graduated college and, you know, looking for me for advice on how to, you know, navigate her life. And she was talking about she, she just needs to find a nice man, just a nice regular guy. She wants him to be black. She wants a nice regular black guy. She said something like, I just want like a nice regular black guy. Like, I don't know. Um, uh, no, she didn't say oncologist. The uh, anesthesiologist. She's, that's what she said. She said, I just want a nice regular black guy, like an anesthesiologist. Honey, there are no... There are no regular black anesthesiologists. By the time you're a black anesthesiologist, there's a story about you that like, <laughs> that like almost, precludes you from being black. 
<laughs> there was, so the idea of a regular black anesthesiologist, there's already a story there. You're already in the top like whatever percentile of black people that like you've had some definite non-black experiences um, by the time you're a working anesthesiologist. And I, I didn't have, I didn't, so the idea that that there is some mythic unicorn that, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're African. <laughs> yeah, someone said, yeah, you're, 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 you're going to find a nice black anesthesiologist named Kwesi. <laughs> right? So, um, so you're already, you're already, so the idea that you want a nice regular black anesthesiologist means that you're confused. There's already an internal contradiction about what it means to be black in the United States. Because any black anesthesiologist you find is not going to be regular. Um, because regular black people don't become doctors. Like, like oh, I, that's another thing. Um, I might as well talk about it now because that's a nice segue. Um, that's a nice segue. We, we pretend one of the facets of modernity is the illusion that occupations are not handed down through um, family lineage, lineage. Occupations are not handed down through lineage. Occupations are just decided by individuals. You can just do what you want to do because you want to do it um, and then work hard and do it. That's not the truth, right? The truth is occupations are handed down by lineage, right? What your parents do and know how to do. The guy, so I was working with a contractor and you know what the contractor, you know what the guy, contractor's dad did? He was a contractor, you know, a carpenter. And you know what the contractor's stepdad did? Would you believe the contractor's stepdad was indeed a carpenter and a contractor? So, you know what? The, my carpenters last contractors, that's still generational knowledge. My kids, I'll be honest, real talk, my kids ha would have an easier time with me helping them become an investment banker, if that's what they wanted to do, than it would me helping them start an auto body shop. <laughs> like, if I wanted my daughters to become investment bankers, I could think my way around that. I could use my connections. I could kind of think. If I wanted them to I can get them a, a job at Goldman Sachs or whatever, it would be awful. I'd feel myself as a failure as a parent just because they wanted to, to um, uh, do that. That means I've, I've kind of failed in the, my social justice mission. But um, uh, I could... I could think my way to help them do that easier than I could think my way and use my connections to help them like run a thriving auto body shop. I don't know how to fix cars. You know, my parents divorce. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like if my parents wanted, if my kids wanted to be a um, uh, law, sc law school professors, I could help them do that. Cause like I know law school professors and I could get advice and help them shuffle. Like, but if they wanted to be like roofers, I would be like, I don't know how to help you do that. I, like, they would end up getting all the training and still not get the jobs. I, like, I, I, I don't. So the idea that, <laughs> teach me to be an investment banker, I'm up for adoption. No, but the idea that, that jobs and the cultural fit for jobs isn't handed down 
through lineage um, is an illusion, right? And all, all trades are skilled trades. Don't tell me that like skilled trades are, uh, they're skilled and unskilled labor. Pretty much all labor is skilled labor, either because you're either dealing with a customer, which is going to come down to like how you've learned to interact with people, or you're dealing with something like, I remember I was, I was, uh, I was helping this, you know, um, I was watching this cleaning woman, and she was very good at cleaning. She's black, very good at cleaning. Black woman, very good at cleaning. Turns out, well, do you know what her parents did? They were also domestic workers. Grandparents, domestic workers. They are better, that's generational knowledge that was clean in that kitchen. Right, and I, and I heard Antonio Moore mentioned that um, there's a study out there, I've yet to find the study, so I don't want to speak on it too strongly, that black people were pretty much locked into, up until the 60s, 13 occupations. We did 13 things. That's it, we did 13 things. We did them very well, but we only did 13 things. And everything else, we're kind of locked out of because it's gonna be so specialized in this modern economy that we're, we're gonna, and everyone lies to black people about what it entails. That's the other thing, everybody lies to black people. You wake up and you lie to black people, especially black men, I feel like. But I've been, there's a whole industry that's just lying to black people. So they lie to black people about the generational and cultural transmittance and inheritance that makes people a fit for certain jobs. And so we just end up keep doing the same th 13 things or the family of 13 things that our parents and our grandparents did, right? right. So uh, I don't know, my dad's from Ghana. He came here, became a paralegal, and now I talk for a living, right? So my dad was like a, a quasi lawyer and I'm a talker. That's not an, ex and a <laughs> that's not an accident. That's not an accident. And my dad came from like pretty high class in Ghana. That's also not an accident why I feel pretty comfortable saying what I want um, in front of anybody, right? Because my dad had the same class effects from Ghana. He comes here, becomes a paralegal, and now I talk. I talk, right? Because um, knowledge and cultural knowledge is generational. All right, so Mike, last week I took a vacation. I know you missed me, but I'm back, and I'm back for good. Uh, I took my family to a, a music campus, like a family music campus. It was beautiful. Uh, my daughter is six, plays violin. My um, other daughter is eight, plays cello. And we all went, family music camp. But the teachers there, you don't have to know, of course, it was all like string instruments, so everyone was white. Um, I was the only black man amongst a sea of people. And, um, but you have to know that the people there were like all of the other families at this family music camp all of the moms were like violinists or music teachers teaching their little kid um, uh, how to play violin and cello. And, or like maybe they were immigrants um, and either one of the parents played or like the parents um, uh, were professionals who paid for like intensive lessons for their kids at an early age. So you need like some sort of institutional intervention if you're going to break that up. Or in 60 years, that same camp is going to be full of white people uh, because, you know, if you don't, if you, like these instruments, if you don't, uh, if you don't get serious instruction, there's no self-taught really good 
like violinists, like really good ones, right? So if you don't get serious instruction for at a young age, you end up with a bunch of bad habits and you spend years trying to put good habits on top of those bad habits. Meanwhile, other people kind of sail through with just good habits, right? So you need a critical mass of black violinists and black violin teachers um, in order to, uh, <laughs> it's full sound. Like <laughs> it's, so it, it, yeah, they sail through because they only have good habits and they don't have any bad habits. As opposed to like if you're self-taught, you gotta have a bunch of bad habits and then like you spend a bunch of years putting good habits on top of your bad habits, which is not the way to win in America, which is rather competitive, right? So, um, so we're pigeonholed in certain occupations in a way that we can't get locked out. You need an in institutional intervention. This is why you need public school music programs. I started playing oboe in a public school music program, and so, and then I got, for, I got, I got lucky with some teachers, and I got good, and I practiced at this time just because I didn't have any friends because I just moved, so I just practiced. So all of these kind of historical accidents made me a pretty good musician and put me in a room with other really good musicians. So like I learned from them where other really good musicians come from, and so like my kids have a structural advantage. But unless I'm your dad, your kid's not gonna like your kid's not gonna be able to play violin better than my six-year-old. My six-year-old's very good for six, but because but that's because of me. <laughs> like, oh, she's great. Uh, like, as a human, and she's smart and all that. She has the wisdom so far because I've taught her to listen to me. But your six-year-old and my six-year-old, like, go in the same audition. My six-year-old's going to win because of generational knowledge. Not because, like, my six-year-old is a better human, but because, like, of me having spent, you know, a chunk of my life around professional musicians <laughs> and having all the right habits, right? So um, everyone, so let me recapitulate the, the, the total argument for people who are just coming in. Freedom is having other people work the world for you. Because if, if other people aren't, haven't already masticated, that means kind of worked and prepared the world for you, then you interact on nature's terms. And nature is completely indifferent to you. Nature is completely indifferent to you. We need farmers on a war with nature so that they masticate the world and then deliver produce to Kroger so I can grow to Kroger and I don't have to worry about nature. I need a nice buffer between me and nature. <laughs> um, even Waldo Emerson needed a buffer between nature. There are every high, a lot of high schoolers read what do they read? What's it called? Walden, right? They read Walden and they learn um, that, wall, that uh, nature is this beautiful thing and nature is a beautiful place where, uh, um, uh, you know, they could be free. But it turns out that, uh, I think it was Emerson, went home every week to get laund his laundry done and to have meals with his mom and have his mom cook them because in order to be free to enjoy nature, he needed someone else to take care of the meals for him so he didn't get hungry because nature did not provide. Right? That's, that's what they don't teach you about Walden in school. But it's true. You can look it up anywhere. <laughs>
So freedom is a, a matter of having other people produce for you. And justice is going to be produced so that is, a, is the system through which everybody produces for each other so that not only do you produce for other people, but you have other people producing for you. And so it's very important for justice that the trash person who does not do it because they like trash or because it's their love, they do it in order so that they have money. It's important that the trash person has more than subsistence money so, and has more than enough time off. So while they take my trash to the dump, they also have weekends and a, and a reasonable short day and a good retirement so that they can enjoy the, the life and they could spend their disposable income enjoying the world that other people produce for them. Because it's oppression if they, their life is merely producing asymmetrically for other people. They need other people also producing for them. So this notion that freedom is about, about self-subsistence is ludicrous. Because the world through which you subsist is indifferent to you. And if the world through which you subsist is indifferent to you, that means you're always on its terms. Right? Freedom is about having other people produce for you with you in mind through these various schemes, you know, I can talk about later. This is why, you know, there's a, my last video before I, I left was on this uh, city ordinance in Greenville, South Carolina, which is funny because my mom now lives right outside of Greenville, South Carolina, that Negro woman would be put to work. Negro women were to be put to work. Why were Negro women to be put to work? This is 1918. Well, Negro women were to be put to work because um, that was a city ordinance. I'll put the whole caption. That was a city ordinance because it turns out that a lot of black men were fighting in World War I and they were getting the regular pension sent home and with their soldier's pension, their wives could quit their crappy job working for Miss Ann for pennies and stay home and watch their own kids as opposed to watching Miss Ann's kids, right? And so a lot of these women were instead of going to clean Miss Ann's house and doing her windows were watching their own kids. And like loving that life as a, as a housewife. And Miss Ann did not like doing her windows. It, it encroached upon her family freedom. So Miss Ann felt less free because, you know, Thelma or Aunt Jemima or whatever was, wasn't working for them anymore, right? So the state had to force black women to go back to work. Um, in order to secure the freedom of Miss Anne. Because freedom is having other people like work for you. <laughs> um, um, masticate the world for your consumption. And, and that's like, so what that means is you can look at that and say, like, that's horrible. These women had to, had to go work for Miss Anne so Miss Anne could be free. Or we could think about like, huh, Maybe we should have domestic help be subsidized and organized like we have trash. Because it used to be the case you used to have to either take your trash to the dump or burn your trash yourself. Now we have professional trash people who take care of your trash. And that's made everybody a lot more free. Now, what if we had a team of professionals that was well-paid, professionalized, unionized, worked 32 hours a week or whatever, at huge wages, subsidized by the government, um, and we did it like mail, where they would just go from house to house 
and just be the bi-weekly, like once every two weeks, I guess it's bi-monthly, um, housekeepers for family. We just did that as a matter of right in order to secure family freedom. Because I've talked to people with housekeepers and they live like nicer lives. <laughs> like cleaning house, uh, having your house clean every other week is really allows you to be a better parent for your family. Uh, it actually allows you to do other things because um, it's nice having a clean house so you could like, you know, read to Junior and all that stuff. So maybe we should think about that as a matter of right. And instead of understanding that as a luxury, we should like understand that like Miss Ann did and said that in order for Miss Ann to be Miss Ann, I need someone to do my house. But unlike Miss Ann, we're going to pay these people. We're going to give them time off. It's going to be a job, like we'll treat it like firemen, where you could retire at 50 uh, after doing a great, doing like, uh, I've always heard retire, uh, fire people retire early. But anyway, uh, it should be like the military where you put in your time and then you get a good retirement for the rest of your life because you've done, you've done a service to the nation. And so you should be paid well and uh, it should be a good job that's heavily subsidized because it's important. It's not a luxury. It doesn't think, like, I don't think it should be a luxury. I think, I think it would probably keep marriages together and keep a lot of people more happy and just make everything more manageable. Um, and this is what Miss Ann knew. And so Miss Ann, in 1918, got on the phone to her husband, the city council person, and, uh, you know, uh, said, we got to get these, we got we to gotta get these Negroes back to work. We got <laughs> like, I need my maid back for me to be free. I need my maid back for me to be free. So there's this. So once again, there's this idea that freedom, that people are self-subsistent, and freedom is just being able to do whatever you want when you want to. When really, a part of freedom is being able to do what you want in a way that's bounded, as other people are providing and providing for and catering to you, right? That's going to be a part of freedom. And for it to be just, that means you need to do your part in providing for and catering to them, right? In the United States, we tell ourselves about how the market kind of sorts this out. I provide a service to you, you provide money to me, and so, um, and then you get paid based on the quality of service you provide. Except black people know that if you're a stigmatized uh, population, you don't get, um, you don't really earn what you're worth in these United States, right? Stigmatized populations do not work at the fair wages or working conditions. So you need interventions to make sure that's the case. Also, once again, if you get some sort of value out of what I do every, every week by eating the risk to say things that you'd be a little bit scared to say yourself, um, uh, if you, if you, by saying the, by eating the risk of saying things you're a little too scared to say of yourself, and then go ahead and kick in five, fifteen, fifty dollars a month. So for me to kind of grow this operation, I'm running here, right? So, um, yeah. So, so what's the problem with something like a UBI, right? A UBI is a universal basic income. You give everyone a grand a month. First of all, you can't do jack with a grand a month. You can't produce anything. So pretty much you're living on everybody else's terms. You can't, you don't have power to do anything. That's not actually making you a productive member of the system. You're just a consumer. 
um, of other people's stuff on other people's terms at other people's prices. Because at $1,000 a month, you can't make moves. You, you might be able to, to maybe um, pay your rent to your landlord, but you can't buy an apartment. You can't save up for a down payment. $1,000 a month, that means when your transmissions go out, that's six months. That's like, that's, that's, that's a wrap. You need a new car, that's a whole year of your UBI. So $1,000 a month isn't real money. So that's the pro first problem with the UBI. Second problem is it denies the fact of production. That in order for any of us to be free, other people have to work. So it creates a system of makers and takers. Um, as opposed to just finding really good and appropriate age and ability appropriate work for everyone to do and then paying people to do that age and ability appropriate work. Like I think the government should directly hire people at $25 an hour, $30, $30 in many cities, but to, just to do a lot of work that rich people uh, pay black people to do. <laughs> I want the government to pay black people to do for other black people. Like, for, like I said, we could have everyone get a cleaning service that comes to their place, their crib, once every, every two, two weeks. And uh, the cleaners themselves get $25 an hour, uh, you know, $5 an hour subsidized by the host family, and the other 20 subsidized by taxing Bezos and, and Gates, because Bezos and Gates wouldn't be able to live their lives. You try to, try to take Bezos and Gates' cleaning person away from them. They will feel oppressed. If, may, <laughs> if, if Oprah's personal chef were taken away from her, she'd be heated. She would feel oppressed. All right? Right now, like the entire business community is feeling oppressed because they can't get people to come back to work for them for $8 an hour. Right? So what we, but we all need this work done. Like we need this work done or we're going to get inflation and all of us are none of, uh, like we have production problems because we don't understand the importance of production. And this is on the left even more than the right because the left thinks, like I said, like food grows in grocery stores. At least the right knows that like people have to work to produce culture and material goods that all of us, um, and someone says robots, so robots, robots aren't going to do the work. Robots aren't going to do the work. You can tell me about robots doing the work when we get class sizes for my kids down to six. <laughs> I, want, I want class sizes down to six. And then you could say that, like, well, we know we have to worry about automation. Until that happens, there's more than enough work to be done. It's just that all of that work is being done for the top 10%. They have the housekeepers. They have the drivers. They have the, the infrastructure to get what they need, get all their needs met so that they can think great ideas. Um, they're the ones who are living the life that a lot more people could live if we just acknowledged that their freedom is purchased by other people's work and that all freedom is purchased by other people's work. And so for a system of justice, everybody needs to pay in with work and then be compensated uh, very well for that work that they pay in. And then we just tax the top to cut the shortfall. So like you talk about um, everyone should deserve health care. Yeah, but who's going to provide all that health care? Other people. That means we need some sort of system that compensates those other people for providing health care. And those other people might not want to provide health care. They might just do it for the money, which means we have a class of people who actually work and then a class of people who actually take. And that's inappropriate, right? So everybody works, everybody gets paid, everybody takes. And that's 
the way you have a just society. But for that, you need direct hiring to make sure that the private market just doesn't exploit black people because of uh, the history of anti-black uh, racism. And you know, you know, blackness in America is tied to trying to get us to produce for them for cheap or free. Um, and, and that hasn't gone away. All right, so thank you for taking the time to be with me. And come back next week. I'm going to talk about infrastructure. By the way, once again, I'm going on Breaking Points with Crystal Ball and Saga and Jetty on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. That should be pretty fun. You know me, I, you can't, once I get there, I'm actually going to be in studio, so I'm not on any sort of leash. And that's just going to be hilarious. Um, and hopefully uh, that will, uh, you guys will see it next week. Take care and good.